In this episode, we're going to take a look at China that's in the news again for committing espionage, see what's really going on, what does it actually mean, what has been happening, and where is it going from here. Is this really a big deal? Should everybody be freaking out because they're seeing this on the news, or does it not even matter? Is China really this big bad evil everybody wants to make them out to be, or is it just business as usual, just like every other country's doing? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to episode 31 of the Gray Man Podcast. So let's get a couple things on the same page here so we all know what we're talking about. First, let's look at what spying actually is. In its most simplest form, spying is simply collecting information secretly on enemies or competitors. That's important to note because we tend to think it's only on enemies or that only enemies collect intelligence on us, which is not accurate at all. Another thing, too, some people don't understand what a consulate is so that we understand what we're talking about here. An embassy is government A. That's their main form of government inside of country B. That's where their main representative of government is, which is their ambassador, and where they conduct whatever operations that they conduct. But an embassy isn't always able to cover a large geographic area, a large portion of the population. But you can only really have one embassy. So what do we do? We create branches. Think of branches are almost like a chain restaurant as an example. But what we call them are consulates. So you have one embassy, but you can have a lot of consulates. The third thing to point out, which is really what I'm here to explain, is that at the end of the day, none of this is a big deal and doesn't really mean anything. This actually happens all the time. We have talked in the past about espionage in the news. We've talked quite a bit about China being in colleges, and that's actually been going on and been in the news very prevalent for at least a decade, whether you pay attention to it or not. Most people see this stuff because it's either on the news or because they go to a place where they're going to find the headline posted, like my Facebook and Twitter accounts, for example, in this situation. Regardless of what we think or what we claim to do, most people react to headlines just like most people identify with who they voted with or whatever the current trend is. Most people don't do their own independent research or find any of this information out because they either don't know where to look or what to look for or it's just not that big a deal to their life until they see it happen or they just don't have the time. And that's normal. That's not a bad thing at all. But we want to understand what's going on here. So there's been what we call an espionage war going on for a long time. Several countries are involved. The ones that seem to make the news here a lot are typically China. If you haven't heard a previous episode, just go back through the podcast. You'll find ones involving espionage in the news. specifically mentioned China inside of our universities and colleges, why they're there, what's going on, how long it's been going on, all these types of things. So the first thing to know is kind of a appeared to be a big deal in the news was we ordered a consulate inside of Houston, Texas, the Chinese consulate to shut down. And an inflammatory article is written about it, talking about how the Chinese government's flipping out and the fire department gets called because these Chinese dudes are out there burning papers. Like it's this really big, weird deal. Well, they're not gonna be able to take all that stuff out of the country, whatever they got. And even if it's not nefarious, which most of it's not going to be, it's going to be classified information for them. Typically, most of it's not even going to be information they collected on us. It's going to be information about them, their people, names, locations, whatever it is that they're keeping. So they're destroying as much of that stuff in the 72 hours they have to leave that facility. Because once they're gone, we're going to go in and reclaim it. 
First thing it's going to go in is a security sweep followed by Intel assets. They're going to rip that place apart trying to find anything they can. Now, for those that have paid attention to this or have researched this, which is going to be almost nobody, you actually find there's a trend there, as I've identified in some previous podcasts about this going on, especially in colleges and universities. The different articles are all essentially the same article talking about how they've been over here going for two things, putting spies as students inside of universities and colleges around the country, and they're trying to mainly get technology. Not the only thing they're trying to get, but they're trying to get technological advancement and information. What do we have? What do we know? How can they use it? Same thing everybody does. Now, as pointed out in the other shows, they've been given repeated warnings. We have arrested and deported some of these people. We have prosecuted some of them. We have caught them. Australia has done the same thing. China is really big and spying in Australia and down in the whole Oceania area. And they have done similar actions. We've made it well known for many, many years that we know what they're doing. And this is not uncommon in the spy game for one country to catch them enough time to put it out there publicly. They put it out there publicly to not only let their own public know, which is neither here nor there, but to let them know, hey, we got you. We seen you. You need to knock this stuff off. Or do better, amazingly. We're also saying that. And through this investigation, they determined that the main source of where this is being controlled from, what they called the epicenter in the article, was the consulate in Houston, Texas. So while there'll be other things that happen and other people that get caught, and you're not going to hear about 99% of them, the head of the snake, per se, is somebody in Houston in that consulate. Now, to put it in perspective, think about this. An active investigation of identifying where this has been going on, decades, looking for these guys. Because spies are good at what they do, especially China. The other thing is once we really started nabbing these guys and going after whoever they are, wherever they are, we started finding more stuff. We started identifying people. Typically, we were finding the people committing espionage against us that weren't Chinese spies. We were finding the professors that were leaking information, even if they weren't Chinese. Finding the students that were being recruited. That's how we were finding them more than we were finding the spies. We were finding their assets or their results and then doing some backwards research and occasionally finding their assets in order to deport them out of the country. The majority of this investigation has been going on for probably seven or eight years. So it takes a long time to get that far up into the game to figure out where's the head of the snake, what consulates has most of the stuff run, and what's going on. The thing is, it's not that anybody isn't doing their job. They're actually doing it very well. Sometimes it typically takes decades, if it even ever happens, for something like this to materialize. So this would be considered successful for what they've done in this amount of time. Now, I mentioned what spying was earlier and used the word competitor. I wanted to throw that out there. One of the comments I got on Facebook was somebody threw the word allies in quotes about our questionable allies doing the same. They're not questionable. That's just what happens. Check this out. I want you to picture this as a what-if scenario. What if spies, most of them weren't what you think in the movies. What if most of them are what we call overt, meaning they go into a country and they actually had to register and say, hey, I'm a spy, just like when somebody comes and says, I'm a student, I'm on a work visa. What if they came in and said, hey, I'm here to commit espionage through my consulate or embassy for my country against your country? Or maybe I'm not doing it against your country, but I am committing it here against another country that's in your country. Can you imagine if spies had to do that? Look at it in more peaceful means. It says competitors. What if they showed up and said, hey, we're pals, we're buddies, we have been forever. 
Almost everything about us politically, even religiously, is pretty much the same. But we're here to spy on you, and we want to register and let you know we're here to spy on you as our ally because we want to find out what you got. Do you think that would make the job easier, make it easier to find these guys? Find them maybe to figure out what they're doing? No. Here's why. That what-if scenario is literally how it happens. This is exactly what happens. You register as an overt operative, as a spy when you go into a country. There are not a lot of Jason Bournes out there. They're not that cool anywhere. And James Bond is a clown when it comes to the real business. So when I tell you that everybody spies on everybody, that's not just some sort of metaphor. That is, in fact, true. Everybody spies on everybody, and almost every single one of them, if not all of them, are registered in that country Is that's what they're doing is spying. See, regardless of what the espionage laws are, the fact is you can't prosecute somebody for a law in almost any of these countries unless you catch them breaking it or you have evidence. And coming in saying that's what you're doing is part of all kinds of international agreements. That doesn't constitute enough to put anybody in jail. Think about all these guys. Typically in the last couple of years, we've seen a few in Iran and a lot in Russia, but it's happened in other countries too. And I'm speaking mainly of Americans, but we've seen this in other news reporting, or you can find it very easily, where they talk about somebody and they're there for espionage or spying and we're going to bring them up on charges. They, of course, deny it or concede or whatever, and then they go to prison. And we've seen a few Americans in Russia in the last three or four years. Most of the time, if not all the time, those people were spying. They were overt operatives that came in and registered and they screwed up and they got caught. And somebody either tried to flip them and then arrested them because they wouldn't flip. Or they weren't very good at their job and they got caught by counterintelligence assets who were surveilling them long enough that they brought evidence against them and caught them as a spy. The difference is some countries tend to deport people, whereas other countries tend to put them in jail. It just depends on who the country is. Now, if you're wondering, why would they go in and register? Because it stops international incidents. It becomes a much larger and bigger deal if you're caught and proved to be spying and you're not there as an overt asset because you're either there covertly or you're there in a clandestine manner, which is your overt guys, but if you're there covertly or when this stuff didn't exist, it all was assumed it was super bad and they were just killing people and starting wars. That's kind of the short version of how a lot of this came out. So remember, clandestine means... That the operation goes unnoticed, whereas covert means who's behind the operation goes unnoticed. So when these guys come in as overt spies and they register, it's a clandestine mission. Everybody knows they're an American spy, at least everybody that needs to know. But that doesn't mean they know what their operation is or what they're doing. And most of the time, they tend to get away with it. Now, going back to China, China, of course, has to retaliate. They have to respond. Why? They can't look weak, but they have to save face. Well, here's the situation. Looking at all these deals and what's going on, we're a country that tends to put people in jail for espionage. But what have we been doing, especially with China? We've been deporting them in the last 15, 20 years. We focus on deporting them. And it's because of our growing mutual relationships throughout the world and our trade agreements with China. It actually makes things a little easier. And it's like an olive branch in order to stop any escalation and to maintain kind of a good working relationship. Which, like any major superpower, we have ongoing issues with, and some people seem as this big bag evil, but we actually have a fairly decent working relationship with China, even though we both sides don't always agree with certain things the other one does. For example, we don't agree with what they're doing in the South China Sea. They don't care. So part of maintaining good relations and not 
escalating is to de-escalate. And part of this de-escalation process was to deport these individuals back to China instead of prosecuting them, putting them in jail for kind of the bigger, greater good. So in this situation, how does China respond? Well, the sister consulate to the Chinese consulate in Houston would be the one in Wuhan. But it's not really that big. It's pretty small. It's not as much of an impact as the one in Houston. So they went to the next best thing, which was the consulate in Chengdu, which is a little bit more significant. So the consulate in Chengdu, the American consulate, is about the same size, scope, effectiveness as the Chinese consulate in Houston. So they ordered the Chengdu consulate to be closed, which is a good thing. That is another sign that they're de-escalating. It's small. They have to save face, but they don't appear weak, but they're also not impacting our work too much. At the end of the day, if all these agreements didn't exist, registering spies and all this stuff, consulates wouldn't exist, and a lot of times embassies wouldn't exist. The truth is you really want to stop people from spying, you go in and shut down all their consulates and embassies. But you can't do that because of all the other effects that has on international trade, international agreements, treaties, people meeting together, trying to do things. A lot of this stuff, like what we're seeing with China, is not even little fish. It's barely bait. It's just little stuff that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And while I'm sure they did get away with some stuff and collect some information, the part that really matters is that they got caught multiple times to the point of being deported and shut the consulate down. That means most of the information they were trying to get, they did not, in fact, get. It also means that a lot of the information they got was probably fake or bogus that we put there through different operations in order to catch their assets. And their assets screwed up, got caught a number of times, which resulted in this situation. So at the end of the day, everybody spies on everybody. It's actually in the news just about every day. Just most people don't know what to look for. They look for the big headlines and the big titles from some evil country that they see as evil. All this that's happening has really been a de-escalation of tensions in order to maintain good working relationships. Nothing really that extreme has happened and nothing as a form of punishment has really happened. These are all de-escalation responses in order to maintain a relationship between these two countries. And yes, in most situations in most countries, most of the spies are known. The people that are there are spies. I say the word registered to make it simple. They essentially register as what they're there for and what they're doing and it is well known. In fact, competing spies, even in hostile nations, often meet and talk together. Sometimes people think that's fake. They see it in the movies where the good guy and the bad guy spy, and they meet and they talk, and kind of like they're wannabe friends, professionally kind of respect each other, but they're like nemesis. It's not quite that extreme by any means, but that does happen in some situations. They meet, discuss, share information on occasion, and they're competing. That's what they're doing. Most spying isn't about finding out what the bad guy's doing because they're not all considered bad guys, but they're all considered competitors. Most of the time, it's competing for the same thing, trying to get the same result. Sometimes, quite often actually, you find spies from different countries all in one country trying to get the same type of information they may or may not realize if it's something that that country's developed or knows or whatever it is. So this is why we call it the spy game. You're playing against competitors. You're competing. It's not about friends or allies or enemies. Most people don't even realize we only have one enemy in the United States declared by law. And it's not a country, it's a terrorist organization. And they've been declared a terrorist organization for almost 20 years. And that number alone should tell you who it is. And then allies, the list isn't as long as you think. While we don't really officially use that term anymore, if you were to say who are allies, we actually would only list three countries, which would be 
Canada, the UK, and Australia is they're our closest allies we share almost everything with. Are we allies with countries like France? Sure we are. We use that term kind of like we just say, hey, this guy's my friend, even though maybe you take the word friend a little more seriously. So just remember it's a competition. Think of it as two people on the team. You got a person who is competing to obtain this new information, and you got a person trying to stop all the other teams from gaining information from you. And look at it this way. America goes to China or whatever country and they get this new exciting information, something they want to collect that other competitors may want. We bring it back to America. Other competitors may still go to that country to try to get it, but they can also come to America to try to get it because now we have it. And if five countries have obtained it, then that's a total of six countries they'll be going to. That's why there's all these different spies in all these different countries. So don't freak out. It's no big deal. Don't go looking at every Asian person on the street and thinking they're a spy, just like you shouldn't go looking at every Muslim on the street and thinking they're a terrorist. This is part of the game. This is how business is done. While those articles can be informative or provide information, they're no different than any other media article today. Almost all of them, they're inflammatory. They're misleading. They're written in a way to get a reaction. And if you don't really understand the subject matter, you don't know if you should be upset or not. I mean, imagine this. Somewhere, some old dude or old woman probably sitting by a creek fishing looking at beautiful trees and animals been living that way for a long time and they don't have a cell phone and because they don't have a cell phone they don't know there's information out there that society expects them to be mad and upset about and that's the point of view i hope people take whenever they find something most of the time you're told to be mad about things don't react that way now if you do go to the facebook or twitter page I believe it's on Twitter, but you'll see another article about China where it talks about an operation they had running into 2025 and an 11-year investigation by the FBI for economic espionage, talking about all the things they were doing, including computer fraud and theft, extortion, these types of things. They go and talk about things like the Hanford site in Washington State from the Department of Energy, which is a nuclear power location, and what they're trying to do there. And they go through what the economic espionage is, the money they've stolen from around the world and their drive to collect intellectual property, which is kind of their big focus or at least their big public focus. Now everybody does this, not just them. There's nothing special about what they've done. They're just explaining what they found in that investigation. And it's a very easy read, very simple. doesn't get into too much detail. You can research more on that, but it's not that big a deal. It's like, look at North Korea. You know where North Korea gets their money? Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. They not only farm it, they actually steal it from other countries. Look at our own history of been shown about money for drugs to finance this war or giving weapons to one organization we're allowed to give them to and paying them to funnel them to an organization we're not allowed to give them to. It's all part of the game. Everybody does something. Everybody still does something. So while I realize some people don't like it, some people want to think country A and country B are the big bad evils, I get it. But at the end of the day, this has been ongoing for more than a decade, at least in heavy investigation. Not a big deal. It's definitely resulted in a de-escalation of possible tensions. So it's not like tensions were there and we de-escalated tensions. The results from both countries happened to de-escalate the possibility of tensions to maintain a good working relationship. And this actually happens pretty much every day between multiple countries somewhere in the world. Check out that article on the 
Facebook page. We also got a nice video up there you might like from a former Russian KGB guy back in the 80s that discusses some ideological subversion, which may sound very familiar for today. Actually would sound familiar 10 years ago as well. But it puts into perspective that the timeline he gives on how you could do this didn't quite go that quickly, which is very common and took about 25, 30 years to get to the point it is now and the effects that it's had. He gave that interview, I think, in 1984, but he's roughly speaking of operations since the late 70s, which is why I put about 30 years on it. Check that video out, too. He's also got other videos. I'll probably throw some more up there. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another podcast right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.